0: And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates
1: our
2: ability to step out of our own shoes. Welcome to the Great Movies Podcast, a retrospective review show based around the films from Roger Ebert's Great Movies Essays book. I'm Dylan Quare.
0: I'm Jana Gardner.
2: And I'm Nick Fulton. And this week we're discussing The 400 Blows by Francois Truffaut. It is uh, about a young boy named Antoine Dionel and mainly his trial and tribulations of being a young teenage boy in France in the 50s and just the stuff that goes along with that. Um, troublemaking, uh, you know, adventures, of the sort the film stars Jean Pierre Léode, uh, Claire Marie, Albert Remy, and Patrick Ofe. Um To start this off, I wanted to ask you both a general question about um, The 400 Blows. Is 400 Blows a Christmas movie?
0: <laughs> you know? They do walk by a Christmas tree at one point in this movie. I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. It's very. And it's chi- very cold. It's very chilly. It looks real cold. Uh, they're wearing some real warm jackets. Um, you know, I I could get on board with that. I could call it a Christmas movie.
3: Yeah, using the Sam Miller uh, of ESPN. <laughs> if a baseball shows up in it, it's a baseball movie. Yeah, this is a Christmas movie. Yeah. It's hard to refute.
2: I'd like to keep a running list as we go through this book of which movies are Christmas movies and how many Christmas movies we can get to by the end.
3: We should keep track of the baseball movies too. Yeah. So yeah, it's true. We're one for two in Christmas movies and zero for two <laughs> in baseball movies, I think.
2: And and we'll see how we go from there. Um can't wait to see if eight and a half shows up as either. Um, something to mention real up quickly up front about The 400 Blows is this actually is the first movie in a five-movie series about Antoine D'Onel. Um, The second movie is a short uh, film called Antoine and Colette. The third is Stolen Kisses. The fourth is Bed and Board. I almost said Bread and Board. <laughs> and the fifth is Love on the Run. Um, I found that interesting because up until doing the podcast, I had no idea that The Adventures of Antoine Dionel We're uh, running on since the movie. Yeah, um...
0: I learned that very recently also in just doing some basic background research. And I think I was glad to know it because there were moments in this movie when I was like, is he going to die? Like, is he just not going to live to see the end of it? And I had to remind myself, I'm like, no, there's a whole series. We see him grow up. I know there's more films. Because there were at least two or three moments where I was like, maybe he doesn't make it out of this. So was, I was kind of glad to know that, you know, he, he lives to see another day when this is all done.
2: Truffaut listed two influences on the commentary track, or someone talked about Truffaut listing the two influences from the commentary track that he had approaching this movie. The first was... Nick's favorite director of the 1930s, Jean Vigo, um, specifically more than likely Zero for Conduct, the film also about rowdy French boys in school. Um, Nick, is there anything that, because you're the only one that's seen Zero for Conduct, um, is there mm. anything up front you would like to compare from Zero for Conduct to 400 Blows? Like s-
3: specific scenes or?
2: Yeah, anything more than just, mm. we? it's both about rowdy schoolboys. be rowdy.
3: That's, uh, like, the bulk of it. Just the the mood and tone of the movies Mm -hmm. feels very similar. Like, a lot of both of these movies is just boys who are around the same age, just kind of, like, messing around and, you know, playing pranks on each other and causing trouble in school. Um, A lot of, like, the the teacher-student dynamic feels very similar. Um, That movie is basically about schoolboys at a boarding school who end up throwing, like, a coup d'etat of their school. Um, and then there's like the scene that we'll talk about I'm sure later. It, it's like maybe the scene that I think of when I think about 400 blows other than the final shot is um, the overhead shot where all the boys are like outside there I don't know like what they're doing they're just kind of like walking around the street following a school teacher. I
0: think it's PE. Like the I think it's is like I don't know the teacher's kind of jogging and they're just walking yeah. slowly behind him but I had that same thought I'm like I think this is Supposed to be PE, but it's just not good.
3: Yeah, every time they turn a corner, like a couple of them pair off and scamper away. I think that's so funny, and it they don't do the same thing in Zero for Conduct, but there's a shot in that visually of like students walking around outside that feels like it had to have been um, a reference to that. But so that would be the main, like the just kind of the setting feels very similar. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, actually, from the audio commentary I listened to on the Criterion Channel. It is directly from Zero for Conduct. That is a scene directly. He pulled directly from that movie. Um, the other influence he listed was the third movie in Roberto Rossellini's uh, war trilogy, uh, Germany F- Year Zero, um, which have either of you seen Germany Year Zero?
0: No, have not.
3: I watched it just a few days ago, knowing that it was <laughs> a uh, one of the inspirations for, for this. And what was your reaction to it? it's bleak it I is so whole, damn bleak <laughs> i think that was my whole letter blocks review is just it's bleak yeah Yep. there's, there's nothing more that needs to be
2: especially the end
3: well, it's just like <laughs> cool thanks you know yeah it's it's i think too bleak to be um that good
2: i agree to be honest like i, I think
3: it's a it, it's a fine film i gave it like four out of five on letterboxd but mm-hmm. it, it needed more levity to i think reach like the higher level
2: or, or just like a something different in tone quite often in movies i have problems with the tone shifting too much and that one i could have used a little bit <laughs> of another tone in it or something mm-hmm. um there is a direct quote though where treffaut um described the movie Germany Year Zero and the influence it had on him by saying um, it's the only film where a child is depicted in a documentary style and portrayed more seriously than the adults around him. It's also the first time that children were portrayed as the center of gravity and it's the atmosphere around them that is frivolous. And I find that quote really interesting in how it relates to um, Antoine Dionel. So out of curiosity before we start the movie and some of our spoiler free thoughts. Um, What does Truffaut mean to both of you, and um, what does his movies that you've seen like mean to you personally?
0: I was coming in pretty cold. Um, This was my first film of his that I've seen, at least first directorial film. He, this is not, and edit this out if this is wrong, he wrote Breathless, right? That's not an incorrect statement. Okay, all right, so I've seen that. Uh, But this is my first um, film of his that he's directed that I've watched. And I'd kind of avoided watching 400 Blows for a long time, because every time I saw it, like, the poster looked so sad, and it was black and white, and I knew it was important. I was about a kid, and I was worried that something bad was going to happen to the kid. So I put off watching it for years, um, and it was sort of a big blind spot for me. Um, so I went into it basically with zero expectations, but very excited to sort of dig in and, you know see what all the fuss was about.
3: Yeah, for me, and for the life of me, I I tried to figure out where this was from and I couldn't find it. But I remember at some point, um, I think when I was in college, listening to like a very cursory um, audio book on film history in which the French New Wave section only mentioned two movies to show like how cursory this, it it, it was something that was very short. Um, But it said like the marquee French New Wave movies were Breathless and 400 Blows. And that was, like, I didn't really know the French New Wave at that time, but it was something that, like, I knew Tarantino was into, and it sounded so cool. So I checked both of those movies out, and the first time I saw this movie, I I really liked it, and I thought it was well-made and well-acted. Um But I didn't, it didn't quite grab me. It was, like, a little bit slow, Um and then I rewatched it maybe five ish years ago and liked it a lot more. It actually like jumped uh, uh, like way up into my all time list. Uh, but even so it, it was still something where sort of like space odyssey, there was something about it that I didn't quite have like the full emotional connection to, but this time that changed, which I think we'll get into. But, uh, Truffaut, like this was his his first movie that I saw. I've seen a handful other of his other movies. I actually watched Day for Night for the first time last night, which um, is a really interesting movie. But I th- I think he's a good director. Um, I probably need to see more of his stuff to give like a an intellectual like fully formed opinion on him. But I of those two uh, like marquee um, French New Wave directors that that book mentioned, I prefer him to Godard
2: so the first time i saw this i think i was probably the same age as antoine i don't necessarily relate to like the parisian street boy the kind of school setting he was in but i could just relate to like that sort of age and that sort of like angst and frustration maybe um and then i actually i'm pretty sure it's one of the films we also watched in my film class which would have been a couple years later when i was in a junior in high school and um, I don't really remember having much of a memory but I think we discussed it because I remember writing about it for that class um, and this was the third time I watched it and it was just interesting to see how it has kind of changed since I remember watching it you know when I was younger and more the age of the main character and most of the characters in the movie so, up front, um, let's get into some spoiler free, just general opinions on the movie. Um, starting off with Jana, what did you think of the movie?
0: I really liked it. It was it was sweeter than I thought it would be a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, you know, it is kind of a simple story. Um, and I had sort of braced for like I was sort of saying something. Terrible to happen I One of my problems With kids in movies Is I just worry About them so much (laughs) Like I I feel so concerned About like Why is no one Taking care of this child Um, And so I I found it A little bit stressful But no I, I really liked it I thought it did A really good job Of You know It's definitely From the perspective Of a young person And so the adults The grown ups You know They're They're the antagonists They're the sort of Obstacles to overcome They're you know, the power he's fighting against, but I didn't think that there was anything that was super caricature about any of those portrayals either. It all felt, you know, very lived in and very realistic, and even, you know, with the parents and everything, like, you know, not the ideal set of parents to have raising a kid, but they also weren't evil monsters, which I appreciated. I liked that it felt like You know it it felt just yeah very very natural very lived in um and was not too and not melodramatic in a bad way but in a way that I felt like I could relate to this kid even though I have never been a you know 14 year old boy in 1950s Paris (laughs) um but at the same time uh yeah it was I found it a lot more moving than I expected it to.
3: Nick Yeah just bouncing off that uh, Like being able to relate to the kid He's supposed to be I think 12 and a half in the movie Mm -hmm. Um, I'm almost three times as old as he is I'm a few years older than the mom And closer I think to the dad's age than the mom Uh, And yet I still relate to the kid Which I think is a testament to how well And how genuine uh, and complex this character feels Um, What I like about him is that he is A character who's been dealt Not like the worst hand you've ever seen A character have in a movie But like the family's not well off Um, You can tell like by Like his clothing He like compared to say his best friend from school The family um, is somewhat poor Uh, They talk about they have like the parents have complaints money a lot and neither of the parents really like him which we learn throughout the film uh like just the full extent of that but they treat him poorly uh the teacher seems to be out to get him in a way that like he the teacher doesn't seem to like any of the students (laughs) but he seems to have particular ire for antoine Um, but despite all that, he, he's a character who, who tries to have the most, like make the most of his life. He still goes, he has a friend who they seem to have like a pretty good and genuine, like a real seeming friendship that boys this age have where it's like mostly good. And every now and then they bicker, um, you know, he goes out and he does things that are, you know, he skips school and he has fun. But then you see the rest of the movie, like all the other boys are doing things like skipping out when they go out for PE or whatever that is. And even the very first shot is them passing around like this pinup picture. And all the other boys are doing it. He just happens to be the one who gets in trouble for it. So he's he's like, he has a pretty like run-of-the-mill personality. He just happens to be in a worse off situation than it seems like the other characters in the movie are.
2: hmm Yeah. Um, I guess my spoiler thought on it would be, I think it's a very well-made movie. Um, I think it's, uh, it is generally pretty relatable as a movie. Um, I would say I didn't have the emotional attachment or feeling that I did when I remembered seeing it um, years ago. Um, which is fine. I mean, it was, it wasn't like detrimental to the movie for me, but it also felt a little less special. Um, it felt more Godard than I remembered it feeling. And I don't like Godard movies that much. Um, but I, I, I think I would generally say it with French new wave films, there's kind of two sects of French new wave films. There's sort of the like um abstract emotional like um Alain Rene or Robert Bresson or Agnes Varda which are very like simple quiet stories of like generally kind of more romantic stories maybe um and then there's some like Francois Truffaut and Jean-Luc Godard which I don't know I'm thinking like maybe brazen is the right word to describe their kind of characters and characterizations. And it's just, it, it's not like they're bad movies. It just, it doesn't work as well with me as much as like Renee and Varda have. Um, but that wasn't to say it was a bad movie. I still very much enjoyed watching it again. Um, but yeah, that was just kind of my main takeaway up front from it. Uh, Nick, See, do, you have, uh, do you have do you have any yeah, response, Nick? <laughs>
3: yeah, I would say you're crazy. Um, I, I think this is much more toned down than something like... Um, any of godard's movies and even even a lot of the other true foes this feels like very stripped down compared to something like i mean i just watched day for night or Mm -hmm. um jules and jim is another very godard sort of this this in a way like especially since it's you know a first time child actor uh shot in black and white it's a pretty simple story like a couple things happen and it's mostly a character driven um, it feels more like an italian neorealist which i guess is yeah. part of part of the pulling from uh the rosalina movie it feels like an italian neorealist movie but with better acting that is true <laughs> no doubt
2: um and i i agree like i i don't think 400 blows is like a jean-luc godard sort of like in your face we're gonna be cool mm-hmm. and um stuff but i think it it There's parts where the characterization of um, D.N.L. lean more that way, that kind of just throws me off a little bit. And some of the characters, like I think the parents sometimes, um, on the whole, it doesn't like get to that point where I'm like rolling my eyes like I am in almost every Jean-Luc Godard movie I've seen. But um, it's just something that kind of detracted me on this watch, um, just personally. That's not to say it's a bad movie. I still, (laughs) I want to reiterate that like I did really like the movie, but no just on this rewatch it didn't um, didn't hit me as hard I'd say Um, but let's say let's start uh, starting off um, the first scene is an opening credits um, sort of montage of somebody online
3: said that this was basically the it's always sunny in Philadelphia (laughs) credit scene (laughs) I haven't seen it's always sunny in Philadelphia it's just the the credits it's the same thing only
0: Yeah, over the city with music playing (laughs)
2: Do they get closer to the Empire State Building <laughs> with, like uh, every block?
0: No, I, it, what's funny, the opening credits actually.
2: Oh, no, it's in Philadelphia. Oh, my God. I was thinking Seinfeld. <laughs> I don't I'm know, so dumb. The uh,
0: Liberty Bell? <laughs> That's in Philadelphia.
2: Yeah, uh, sure. No, it's, we can it's, edit that it's, out
0: <laughs> It's funny, the opening credits did actually jump out at me because I was sort of not sure what the movie was going to be like, and I didn't know if it was going to be like more Goddard, more sort of abstract, or sort of in your face. And so when it starts off and it's just this very sweet like the music's playing and the opening I was like it felt so much more conventional than I thought I think I had prepared myself to be ready for it like kind of set this mm. nice tone of like oh this might be just like a a little story about a kid
2: Mhm. Um it's so French that it just opens
3: up on the Eiffel Tower. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> it goes all in on the French. <laughs> um
3: and I think, though, I... that the the way they shoot it is interesting because it's not the way you typically see the eiffel tower you're seeing it like from below i don't know that you ever do you ever see it like in its entirety or is it always just like it kind of a weird angle
2: i think it's almost entirely either like peeking over like houses on the street or once they get to the eiffel tower basically Mm -hmm. just kind of like looking at Mm -hmm. it from below. It, it
3: feels like, hey, we're in Paris, but it's the different Paris from, like, it's it's a less romantic version of Paris right. than you're used to it didn't to seem seeing.
0: glamorous, like literally street-level, yeah. right. just, yeah.
2: Um, I did see on the um, commentary that this was actually supposed to be, a, uh, these shots were supposed to be in a scene for... Um, Antoine and Renee looking for the Eiffel Tower specifically and them getting closer and closer and closer to it and then going away from it. I think it says they're in a taxi. Um, Mm. I just found it interesting that, like, at one point, um, Truffaut was like, you know, this doesn't fit into the um, pacing of the movie, but he found a really good way, I think, to be able to rework those shots into it because it makes you feel like you're kind of, coming to a head as the credits go on and literally coming to his name which pops up right as we hit the Eiffel Tower. Very Auteur theory in his <laughs> very own film writing it in like that. Um, but yeah it's a, it's a nice way to open the movie and, and we get um, a uh, dedication to André Bazin or Bazin which was a French film critic who died of leukemia in 1958 just before um, Truffaut began making the movie and it is said that he kind of was a father figure to Truffaut and was able to help him explore. Mm-hmm. Cinema is a way from escaping troubles which Antoine could have used <laughs> in certain parts of this movie, which he kind of grabs onto. They go yeah. to the movies. Yeah, he kind of does a couple yeah. times. Yeah. Both his friends and his parents, which mm-hmm. I think both of those scenes are my favorite scenes in the movies, yeah. actually. Um, uh, next we do the pinup passing scene. We see a group of boys, um, in their class. Um, one takes out a risque pinup, um, from his desk and they all start passing around. And like you said, Nick, it happens that the teacher just notices, uh, right on when it's, uh, in Antoine's hands. He's caught red-handed. Um, what do you guys think of this opening scene and how it's set up? Um, Antoine... Renee even and kind of the class and the teacher in general
0: I mean I guess it does a good job of sort of establishing you know a boys will be boys kind of quality of the movie that you know yeah like this is a troublemaker um, but that the stakes are not you know some super high you know necessarily life or death stakes but you know he's just a kid and he's getting in trouble in school and he has some bad luck and it could happen to any kid um you know, and his teacher drags him up and makes him go stand in the corner. And um, I thought it did. Behind it, a chalkboard, behind a no chalkboard. Less. I know, just sort of like puts him in like a mini jail in something that, you know, a, a theme that will be revisited. Um, but, yeah, and it really does feel like all these boys are like that. But it establishes very quickly that, you know, if if something bad's going to happen, it's going to be to Antoine. Like he just he just has that kind of luck.
3: Yeah, and they even show like I think later in, I think it's also in the opening scene the kids are taking a test and there's the one kid who yeah. k- keeps like just getting ink all over oh every page. God, I loved that scene. So <laughs> that part. is like so funny. Wiping his hands
0: on the paper and like there's more. I ink. Mean, it just
3: ta- he's like, oh I no, he, I gotta
2: rip that one out now. Yeah, <laughs> he,
3: he tears out like every single page. It felt very like it's it's it seemed like a chaplain yeah, bit. The kid real even had slapstick. had like yeah. He had like such good like Chaplain esque timing, but you can imagine that happening to Antoine and him getting like torn a new mm-hmm. one. Yeah, so it's not just him who's doing like these silly things. Yeah. Uh, granted, I, that kid wasn't like trying to be bad. He's just like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know hopeless. Yeah.
2: You now, granted, funny. I don't think I I don't think Antoine is necessarily trying to be bad through. A large portion of this movie, sometimes he is, he's trying to be a bit of a rapscallion, but quite often stuff like the pinup, I don't think he has any, like, ulterior negative motive in him. It just, it's bad luck, and other kids hmm. like that one just didn't have the bad luck of getting noticed, absolutely wrecking his blue book. <laughs> so embarrassing. Well,
3: the The reason that he even gets caught with the pinup is because everyone else just passes it around and he stops to, like, doodle on it. Yeah, yeah that is true. So does, he draw, does he draw a mustache on her? That's what it kind of looked like. I don't like. know, but it's kind of something that comes up over and over again in this movie. When he tries to express any kind of creativity, mm-hmm. he gets in trouble. So mm-hmm. he doodles on that, he gets in trouble. He draws like his manifesto on the wall um, and gets in trouble for that. Mm-hmm.
2: Which is such a great manifesto. It reads... Here, poor Antoine Dionel was unfairly punished by Sourpuss, the nickname for their teacher, which is a great mm-hmm. nickname. For a pinup that fell from the sky, it will be an eye for an eye and a
3: tooth for a tooth. And my, my favorite part about, um, like, maybe my favorite metaphor from the movie is, following that, um, one of the kids, like, narks on him. Mm-hmm. Oh, that narc. Yeah. I, I hate that kid. <laughs> When they uh, wreck his
2: glasses, I'm just like, yes. (laughs) Those glasses are terrible.
3: Yeah. Well, that's a great scene because, not to like jump too far ahead, but that's a great scene because it's not just Antoine and Rene who do it, but it's like multiple kids in the class. Oh, they they all want to get him. They they all have Antoine's back on this. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, so the metaphor that I really like is he has to clean up the – The graffiti that he wrote on the wall and when he tries to clean it up he just makes it worse and that's exactly what happens with the typewriter he tries to Mm -hmm. clean up his mess and he ends up being worse off than he started
1: yeah Mm -hmm.
2: most of the times he gets in trouble is when he's trying to fix the mistake he made already Mm -hmm. which i found very interesting and very sympathetic and sad to, to watch that character have to go through um it's a a bummer yeah um then uh he's so he writes his uh manifesto when he's in for recess which i had completely shocked that they would leave a kid in a room with no supervision while they all go out to recess for being punished but ironically when they all get back in and he's yelled at for writing his manifesto he just like up and leaves while the whole class is in session which is pretty great as well um, I think an interesting line the teacher says is, um, France will be in a sorry shape in 10 years because of you boys or it's something along those lines. Um, and doing a little digging from something that was mentioned on the commentary track was that in 10 years, uh, France saw the protests of May 1968, which started off as a student occupation against capitalism, consumerism, um, the strikes came across uh, universities and factories and evolved 11 mini- million people, which consisted of 22% of the French population, as a stand against this sort of negative workforce, um, authoritarian business structure that France was in at the time. And I just found it interesting that, like, Trufo is almost writing a line of an authoritarian figure complaining about how it will look in 10 years when the people that are basically dnl's age are gonna overthrow him in 10 years it's just like a completely um mistake of fortune that he was able to almost predict that to the year but um i just found that very interesting do you guys have any thoughts on that
0: no i totally noticed that too because the timing is seemingly so precise where it's like okay this is taking place in the late 50s in 10 years it's like yeah the student protests internationally of 68 69 um you know it seems like a foreshadowing line that would be written by somebody 20 years later with like Mm -hmm. a winking knowing oh you kids Mm -hmm. you're gonna do this uh so it's it's funny it's it's almost impressive that he just wrote that at the time um without any sort of hindsight I didn't make that connection at all.
3: (laughs) I don't know a lot about history.
2: I didn't know about that either. Just lucky commentary check note. Um, And after that, uh, we see Antoine go home and kind of his first interaction with his parents and um, his first interaction by himself also, which I think is important to note. Um, what, What did you guys kind of take from this first scene of exploring sort of Antoine's life outside of his
3: school? So the two things I like... Um, and they're both pretty small moments is one when after he makes the fire he wipes his hands on the drapes and it's another one of those it's another one of those things where he's trying Mm -hmm. he's just not equipped to get it right yeah like he Mm -hmm. hasn't he, he hasn't quite had the upbringing to not wipe his hands on the drapes and we actually see the dad do the same thing in the kitchen later in the movie oh i didn't notice that yeah I, I noticed it on my second uh, rewatch because I watched this a couple times hmm. uh, this week. Um, the other moment, it's a shot that I really like is when he sits down and he goes to brush his hair. And I think there are like three or four different mirrors that we see him in. And it's just a nice little, this is still pretty like maybe 10 minutes into the movie. It's a nice visual metaphor of like, we're going to see this type of character from multiple different angles. He's going to be a multifaceted character. And I like that a lot about that, that like, you know, 10 second moment.
0: Yeah, the, the moment I liked of him at home alone was when he sort of gets the table already and then he sits down to actually start doing the assignment he was given. But then like his mom comes home and it's dinner time and his mom's like, no, it's dinner time, no time for homework. And it's just another <laughs> example of like, Like you were saying, even when he tries to do the right thing, you know, like, because the fact that he didn't finish his homework will become this precipitating event that prevents him from going back to school and then everything kind of snowballs from there. But, like, he tried, like, he at least for a second gave it a shot and then, you know, he just, it's just that sort of bad luck again, bad circumstances.
2: Yeah. Um what do you guys think of the parents' introduction in this um, scenes? I think the mom comes across, and her sort of thing is almost to test, like a slight detest for Antoine. And the dad, on the other hand, seems
3: <sighs> not
2: nice, but more just aloof instead of like angry with sort of some of the stuff that Antoine does and I I like the line where um, Antoine asks for a thousand francs and he says um, you won a thousand which means you need fifty which means oh man I'm gonna lose it (laughs) something like
3: yeah you won a thousand which means you're hoping for five hundred which means you need three hundred so here's one (laughs)
2: hundred and then he goes no way five hundred and he, he brings it back up which shows, to me, at least up front, that he's maybe a little bit more caring um, towards Antoine, which is interesting, because later on in the movie we learn that he's not um, Antoine's actual father. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but, yeah, what, what do you think of, like, the parents setup here? Go I ahead, it, well, the,
0: feeling, like, the The initial, you sort of said it felt like his mom sort of, like, detested him in a way. It definitely felt like resentment to me. Um, and this is a theme you see a lot with moms and, and stories um, about and by men where their moms are characters where often yeah. there is this sort of sense and some of it may be imagined and some of it um, especially based on what I read about Truffaut's biography probably <laughs> closer to accurate where um, there is a sense of resentment about what you know having this child meant to her life and where she's ended up and her place in life and I had the same kind of observation that Nick did where I'm looking at this character and I didn't look it up but I was like oh she's younger than me isn't she like this mom character <laughs> is probably supposed to be like you know early i think 30s? she was
3: i think she was th- the actress is 30 yeah that's kind of what i thought
0: because there's a scene where she's looking in the mirror and she's like sort of like tugging at her face and like rubbing her face and you can tell it's that sort mm. of like time and i was a beautiful young woman and my life now um and so and that you know It wasn't off-putting, that's not the right word, but that always kind of makes me kind of guarded when your your first or only female character is sort of presented as, like, a little bit vain, a little bit resentful. Um, But it wasn't... It felt, like I was saying, realistic. She didn't feel like a a caricature to me at all. Um, You could sort of understand, even before you get to the revelations about her having him and his father and the circumstances, that, you know, it was probably not how she imagined her life. <laughs> this is just where mm-hmm. this family has ended up and, you know, probably both of them didn't imagine their life this way and like I said they're not good parents. They're not, you know, not what you would want, but um it felt it felt real to me.
3: Yeah, a, a comparison I want to make is to um so she probably had her when she was around 18 then. Mm-hmm. Um or had him when she was around 18. And I know we, I don't think we have talked about this movie on the show yet, um, but I know we've talked about it off air. It, it reminds me of the Florida Project because mm-hmm. cause I think Mooney and her mom are probably like Mooney's mom was maybe slightly younger. Yeah. Um, but it's a similar kind of dynamic where like the mom was just not equipped to, right. the mom was not ready to raise this child and in Florida Project that has its own set of uh, bad ramifications. Mm. And in this, uh, it's we learn later in the movie that, that the mom is, you know, still relatively new at this mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe she's she is selfish. Like, there's no denying that she's selfish and she can actually be kind of cruel. But you do feel a little bit bad for her. Like, I guess especially... Well, we'll talk about um, the mom's kind of reaction to the pregnancy, I'm sure, later. hmm But there's... You know, they, I think he leaves a little bit of room uh, for sympathy to the mom. Not a ton. Like you, like you said, yeah. you know, I, she's really the only female character in it, and she's not a good person. Yeah. It's not the most... Or, or she's not a good mom, right. but... <laughs> I think the mom
2: is like one of the things that makes me feel like I'm starting to approach a Godard movie. Um, I don't think he ever goes full, like characterizing, like women as some sort of like, you know, banal, sometimes degenerate kind of human being that's just, you know, sly and tricky and I think Truffaut definitely does that that in Jules and Jim with the female character, Um, but I don't think it ever gets to that point with the mom, but it it is something that makes me start to feel like the movie doesn't have as many dimensions as I kind of remembered or hoped it would be.
3: Yeah, I mean, in this movie, everyone is, it's like autobiographical or semi-autobiographical, so everyone's kind of portrayed as their relation to Antoine, which... I think that's a reasonable way to approach this type of story. Um, So having having like the the one main female in his life be a mom who's like, who sucks. um, (laughs) I I think is, it's true to the story. It doesn't feel like the way Godard often. We're, we're really going after him today. People are, (laughs) that's fine.
2: I will never miss a chance to go after (laughs) Godard personally. I like some of his movies quite a bit. I don't, yeah, I, th- I think, like, V Sav is pretty good. Um, I don't like how he treats Agnes I was going to
0: say, I was like, yeah, I, I have some, That's I have so some true. criticisms uh, in his personal life.
3: <laughs> From Faces Places, oh yeah. God, awful, I actually, awful. I, I, I'm, it was so bad that I was half convinced that it's not real. Um, I would, but I think it that is. would make
0: me feel so much better if it were not real. If it was like an elaborate it, stunt, which it could be, mm-hmm. but I, I, I want it, don't think it is.
3: I want it to not be real because she seems just so sad that it like yeah. it made me feel awful. Um, there's a a book that I I have haven't read all of, but I like flipped through it in preparation for this. It's a collection of letters that Truffaut wrote, and it's just like all his letters written out. Mm-hmm. It's a few hundred pages. <laughs> And there's one to Godard that's, like, five pages long, and it's just him tearing him a new one. Like he calls really? Him a shit. He calls him a shit. So, he yells at him for, like, talking shit about him and Jean-Pierre Leo. There's a whole section it's, on
0: Wikipedia, on True um, uh, Truffaut's Wikipedia page that's, like, relationships with other filmmakers. And one of the segments mm-hmm. is apparently... Um, Godard, they they had a major falling out after Godard accused him of making a movie that of uh, making a movie that was a lie, talking about Day for Night. He said it, the film was a lie, and then that's what that letter was in response to. It was basically like, well, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> no, mm. <laughs> and so he just like real, and then they never spoke again for until like for the rest of Truffaut's life. So,
2: which was a sadly brief yeah, life. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Which he died,
0: yeah, young, and then apparently Godard had regrets after that, but too late.
2: Godard could have regrets,
0: <laughs> apparently.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I need to get off Godard. <laughs> yes. Next scene.
0: Yeah. What happens
2: then? <laughs> so the next scene is then skipping school, and this skip whole down. the skip day is awesome. Yeah, it looks fun. This gone. is such a. <laughs> They go to the movies, they play pinball, uh, and then probably the coolest scene in the movie, they go. I don't even know what it's called, but I called it the spinny thing
3: in my notes, which I think anyone. uh, So I think there are like um, generic versions of it now, but it used to be called the rotor.
0: Yeah. Have you guys ever been (laughs) in one of those It's not
3: far from the spinny thing. Yeah, I don't do. um, I get like all of a sudden just in the last maybe five years or so, I get motion sickness really bad. And I did this after that. Oh,
0: okay, yeah, yeah. I couldn't do it now. I had a similar thing where basically I turned 30 and all of a sudden was like, "Oh God, I get." I never had motion sickness before, but it's awful. God, but when I was a kid um i grew up where the uh, california state fair takes place and so i went to the state fair every year so i was a big like carnival ride person and that's always a big deal at carnival rides one of those i can't remember what it was called there either but yeah you get in the big spinning thing and your backs up against the wall and then it spins fast and the floor drops out um and it's the best like i i loved that entire sequence
2: it
3: shot so well too yeah Oh, it's it's beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Apparently, the rotor can cause like three G's worth of centrifugal yeah. force. Yeah, that like thing is no good. joke. That's yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and that's why he was he was doing the thing where when he, the, the ride's going and he starts like turning sideways and like moving to try to turn mm-hmm. upside down, which like again was another time where I was like, oh god, if you do that, then the ride stops, you're it's gonna like fall to the ground. So I was worried about yeah. him again. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it ends up being fine. Like he just, you know, he's just being a kid. It looked like a blast. A blast. Yeah,
2: and I think it's interesting that he picked this ride to um, represent mm-hmm. them going on because it's very mimicking of a. They they described it in the commentary track as a zoetrope, which is those yeah. oh, sure, um, things yeah, with the, little slits, yeah. and they kind of spin around it around, and it's like the most very early form Soul-making, of a movie that yeah. you could ever get. Yeah, um, and it kind of actually does look like that when you, especially when you're looking. They do the shot of um, basically Antoine's point of view, looking at the people at the top of the. I love that shot. Um, the the observing and just kind of them blending together and stuff. Yeah, it's an incredible shot. Um, and I think it might, this may be kind of obvious, but you know, y'all you know who shows up in the spinny thing. Yep. No,
0: I don't.
3: Truefoes there. Uh,
0: of course, of course, yeah. I knew mm-hmm. he had a cameo somewhere, and I was like, I'm never gonna spot him. <laughs>
3: It's like a second, yeah. if that.
2: Yeah, they show him walking into it, and then when um, it's much easier to spot when Renee and Antoine are walking out of the ride. He literally walks in front of the camera. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it.
3: <laughs> yeah. So speaking of zootropes, it's something that I um had heard that like years ago reference to this scene mm-hmm. about how it was supposed to look like a zoetrope, and since then I've noticed it in only one other movie but in once upon a time in hollywood there are two scenes where i am positive that Tarantino does it on purpose i've never seen anyone write about it but there's one like pan shot where they're going through like a wood fence and there's a bunch of like vertical slats and they look like oh. the vertical slats of a zoetrope and the other one like the i think the classic um thing projected on the zoetrope is like a horse galloping mm mm-hmm, yep. mhm and in the scene where um, Brad Pitt's character is beating up the hippie at the ranch, sure. when they when they call, um, I think his name Tex. is Tex. Tex. When they call God. Tex, and he starts running, he he runs on his horse to get oh, back. Yeah. When he's going through the horse, it shows him like running through the woods, and all of the trees make it look like a zoetrope. Huh. That's an interesting. So I don't know if I don't know if that's on purpose. I feel like since it's tarantino it has to be and i don't know if it's like a sly reference to this or just the format in general but as soon as i saw that i was like oh my god like that's so cool Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: and then the final and probably most important thing um that is shown in the skip day is the mama is smooching with another man Mm
3: -hmm. which i believe is a person from our work right
0: yeah that was I, i don't know if they say that or it's implied but that was what i thought
3: yeah, the stepdad makes allusions to her boss. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's him, but... But that is something that comes
2: up later. Um, yep. After that, he goes home again. Um, this time... Uh, what I think one of my favorite things when he comes home is he has to copy Renee's note. And um, he copies Renee's name instead of his own. He's like, too good. At, that, or he's
0: That whole thing when he was like, here, take my note and copy it. And then he's like, well, what about the handwriting? Okay, we'll copy your mom's handwriting. I'm like, well, then why are you copying his... Don't use the same note! Like, the plan is so bad! Immediately, I'm like, this is gonna just backfire entirely for these boys.
2: Yeah. uh, It's it's a very, like, sweet scene. Yeah. Um, And then uh, another thing that kind of comes up is uh, the dad has lost his Michelin guide, which is kind of an illusion for him losing his wife in some sort of way or his manhood, which very
3: defining of manhood and relationships and
2: stuff through a car
3: magazine. Yeah. Is it a car magazine or is it, is the Michelin guide the, uh, like the it restaurant started guide? as a car I magazine,
0: didn't... which is something I learned today because I nice. turned to my husband while I was, wa- we were watching the movie and I was like, wait, He's looking for the restaurant guide. Why? Like, I was genuinely confused, and Matt had to be like, "No, it used to be a motorsports magazine." And I was like, "Oh, okay, cool."
2: Well, yeah, and they also talk about the dad is no, like into. They, racing they did. They said he was
0: into racing, and they have the like vaunt, the pennants and everything on the wall. Um, so they definitely mm-hmm. established he was a racing fan. But I did the exact same thing where I was like, "The Michelin Guide is for fancy restaurants," but apparently, it used to be a motoring magazine before then. <laughs>
3: Okay. Hmm. Well, I had a, whole, I had a whole read for that that's like <laughs> just completely wrong. So Fair you can enough. do it if you want. <laughs> Cause no cause aspirational
0: fine dining, like <laughs> class. N- no,
3: no. So what I thought was, like, I think you're supposed to think that the mom has it. Or when I was thinking there was a restaurant guide, I was thinking that the mom has it and that she'd taken it because she's going out on dates cuckolding him. Um, but apparently not I do think it's funny that I mean the Antoine says it wasn't me ask mom uh-huh. and the mom says well the kid's a liar and I I was sure that the mom had taken it like even having seen this a couple times I completely forgot that Antoine is just lying and the mom is right
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I totally I believed him I was really sad about that because I really believed mm-hmm. him like the whole movie and so every time when he was like, no, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And I'm like, yeah, that mom, she's full of it. And so then when he, like, takes it out later, she's like, oh, okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's a thing I think every person that's ever been a child can relate to, which is um, you're laying down in your bed and your mom goes into your room and you immediately try to fake like you're sleeping, mm-hmm. which I, I just find that one little moment, like, so relatable that is... Mm-hmm very true. Um, But then they have a big fight and you can hear the parents kind of arguing about um, money, jobs, their relationship, and a lot about um, Antoine and, you know, his relationship to the family and um, what they should be doing with him and where he might go, Mm -hmm. which is the start to kind of where the movie goes from there.
3: Um, What do you guys think of that sort of interaction? Well, this is also the scene where we learn out that wh- where we uh, find out that the father is not his actual father. And we don't learn the specifics, but we just know that he says something along the lines of I gave him a name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And that's and that's sort of how it's revisited whenever the topic comes up is always the like he gave him, the, you know, gave him a name, um, which is a very at this point sort of old fashioned way. I think of uh Thinking of that concept of sort of like mm-hmm. he adopted him or he took him in, um, yeah. And I, I thought it was interesting, sort of having that at that moment because like we'd been talking about the the father character seemed so much warmer toward. Like they had a have a warmer relationship, more of sort of a you know, it's not great, but they have a little bit more of a what seems like easygoing relationship than he does with his mom. And I don't know if that's supposed to be because of the nature of their relationship or despite it. Um, but it's, it's an interesting distinction.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of cuts to the next day. Um, Antoine goes back to school. Um, I believe it's mentioned that he never actually finished copying the, um, the uh, note, mm-hmm. the, the uh, absence note. Right. Um, and this is going to be my first of probably a few times where I just mentioned how good Jean-Pierre Léaud is in this movie i love when the teacher starts kind of like belligerenting him and like mm. asking like um why are you lit not there at school yesterday how how could you you have you person and um i'm gonna try to s- say this in french but i just love his line reading where he kind of just breaks and i think he just comes up with the excuse on the f- like on the top of his like head at the moment he just goes elmar
0: <laughs> So <The> she died.
2: <laughs> she's dead Elma.
0: Like, yeah, no, he better have come up with that at the top of his head because I can't imagine that was a plan. I hope that wasn't a plan. Like,
2: well, he tells Renee he's got something like big planned yeah. in mind. So I don't know if he's just trying to like play off Renee or something, or if he has in his mind that he's like, oh, you know what, yeah, mom's this is dead. definitely gonna work. She's gone. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny because when he shows up, yeah, so the thing that the, when the teacher is giving him a hard time, the teacher's basically like oh, sure, you get one extra assignment and you got to call out sick. Fine. Give me whatever note you, like, conned. Like, he's sort of ready to just sort of roll with it and be like, obviously you faked being sick and you conned your parents into writing a note. Give me a note. And so when he doesn't even have the note, the teacher's like, oh, come on. (laughs) Like, he immediately, like, what's... I was actually surprised the teacher believed him. I guess you don't want to, like, call kid yeah. a liar when they say their mom died. But the teacher immediately is just like, oh, I'm so sorry, and, like, pats him on the back and, like, takes it easy on him later. Like, he just really, he just <laughs> believes him for that brief period of time.
2: I love that the teacher says, like, uh, the student should always feel comfortable confiding yeah, right. in the <laughs> teacher. <laughs> it's, like,
0: it's like... Had she been ill? you Sourpuss? always confided in your teacher. It's like, okay.
2: Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I just love the way um, Leo says that line. Okay. So matter-of-fact and just <laughs> frustrated. Um, yeah, and then the parents come to yeah. the school. I almost wonder if, like, the... Um, like the school called the house, like to give their condolences to the dad, maybe. But th- yeah. they come and yeah, I there's about the famous
0: lives because they both show up like pretty quickly that day. I
2: think it has to be something like they found well, out about. We also that knew lie. he was
0: cutting at that point, right? Because yeah, the, the jerk yeah, kid they, shows up at the door and is like, "Yeah, they'd found out that morning. Yeah. that oh, yeah,
3: he'd, he'd skipped school, so maybe it was they they were calling to punish him anyway for having skipped the day before. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was kind of my rationale for how the parents just kind of pop up yeah. but yeah bad timing
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Leo Antoine should have gone like all in and it should have been like Francois Truffaut's Ferris Bueller stay <laughs> off and <laughs> they have to like fake the mom being dead yeah, in some exactly. sort of way um uh, but then the parents come and there's the very uh famous shot of multiple famous shots of the movie including um where the dad like slaps um Antoine and I think that's the first time we really see that like the dad maybe not as Mm -hmm. aloof or caring as he was in some earlier scenes like he can be truly cruel Mm -hmm. to Antoine. I mean again and this is the thing is Antoine does some bad stuff in the movie and so there's times in the movie where it kind of loses the focus of feeling sympathy for him in some sort of way maybe not to the extent that like the authoritarian figures in his life choose to punish him but it 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 does take me out of the movie um so like i think they have like every right to be mad at him but i think it starts to show that the dad isn't afraid of like literally getting his hands dirty and punishing Antoine.
3: yeah for me um i i think he's a good person who happens to do bad things yeah, and that's the type of like character writing that I really like. Where I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't stand a character who's like only good. Like that's the worst thing in the world for me. So if and, he, and yeah, favorite movie is Paddington Two. <laughs> well, yeah, that's different.
0: <laughs> Especially Paddington rules.
3: Yeah, that's. I mean, first of all, he's a bear. He's not he's a kid. A very good bear. He's a very good bear. He's the best bear. I, I just watched that like three days ago. <laughs> <laughs> um. But anyways, so uh, totally lost my train of thought. (laughs) So Paddington goes to the... uh, (laughs) He's
0: he's a good person who does bad things. It's not that he's out to hurt anybody. He just makes some real mistakes and gets in over his head. And uh, yeah, I agree that that's a very sympathetic kind of character. Even though sometimes for me it can be a frustrating character because I want to be like, just stop. like Just stop digging yourself into this hole.
3: It's like Howard in Uncut Jones.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: It's a great,
2: (laughs) great character. (laughs) And then uh, Antoine decides to make a great move in his life, which is to run away from home, misspelling almost entirely a letter to his parents, which I found hilarious that (laughs) he couldn't even completely write the letter in any sort of way. Um... What did you guys think of like his decision and the parents' reaction to this thing?
0: I, I mean, his decision i I think is understandable at least in like that kid logic way where you're mm-hmm. like, no one cares about me. I'd be better off on my own. I'm just gonna take off. Um, you know, and it's it's every kid's exa- thought that. exactly every kid's thought that and it wasn't surprising to me that this kid in particular would just do it that he just would think you know forget these people i'm out of here
3: yeah i think the same thing it's the type of decision that you watching it will go oh you should not do that child <laughs> yeah. child alone yes. in the wintertime <laughs> sleeping on the streets or i guess in a in a closed printing shop yeah, um, yeah. But at the same time, it feels like it very much fits for what that character would do. Uh-huh. I, I uh-huh. wouldn't see him going home that night. It makes sense for him to jump ship and go elsewhere. You, you know what he does, though? He returns to school. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well.
2: Which I... <laughs> for some reason, when I was watching it this time, I thought it was that that had him out of school. I forgot yeah. about the Balzac part. Um. So I would he returned to school the next day, I was like... Antoine, what the heck are you doing, <laughs> man? <laughs> but um, he but some, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I it's again just like re-emphasizing just how much the mom completely doesn't care about Antoine. Is they read the note and all he she really says is like, "Oh, the boy gets on my nerves." Oh yeah. It's just like okay, I I get it. Like, sure.
0: Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, she has a very know. under, like, purposefully understated reactions. And it, it was in the earlier scene, too, where, you know, obviously they had sort of seen each other when she was out about on her affair and he was out about cutting school. But when they when the parents find out that he's been cutting and the, the dad looks at the mom and is like, you don't you're not surprised by this. And she was like, eh, should I be surprised? Like, that's her level of reaction to everything is just like eh. mm-hmm. a yeah. you know, ah, kid. How annoying, how inconvenient for me.
3: When he's out that night, um, I think it's significant that the thing that he steals for sustenance is milk. Mm-hmm. And we learn later that, like to put a pin on the metaphor, when he was born, they ha- even hired a wet nurse. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in case it wasn't clear the first time. They <laughs>
0: yeah. He has no connection to his mother. Yeah. He's like yeah. craving it. Yeah. that I thought that was interesting too.
3: Yeah. So when, when he... Um, his mom finds him at school, and she brings him home and like you like you were saying about her being like so self self centered about things she's convinced that the note is all about her affair when he's really just talking about I know. Yeah. the things he did wrong, mm-hmm. like he just got slapped in front of his entire class, and she thinks that his note's about her yeah. because that's the only lens that she can view the world through yeah, yeah which is again i just found frustrating
2: <laughs> i yeah um, but I, I find it so funny that like she thinks she's being so relatable to him and like really like uh being able to connect with him by saying oh i was a rapscallion yeah. one, antoine and like if you just do well on your next assignment right. we can like i'll I'll pay you mm-hmm. right isn't it like a, Thousand or ten francs thousand francs that she'll give him.
0: Thousand, I think, mm-hmm. because I was trying to figure out later on at the towards the very end of the movie, there's a reference to ten thousand francs that he has like stolen at one point, and I was trying to, I you know, conversion and and modern values. I was like, I have no idea how much that's supposed to be, but she offers him a thousand dollar or a thousand francs for completing the assignment, mm-hmm. which I think is a significant amount of money, but I don't know.
2: Yeah, but at least in that scene, Antoine is rolling his eyes with me, right. which
3: is pretty funny. Yeah, um, he knows he knows the deal. I think okay. all foreign movies um, should have a conversion rate the first time they talk about. Yeah, movies.
0: honestly, it's like you're giving me English subtitles. Just just put it into dollars. That would be helpful. Yeah,
3: yeah. Like they watch High and Low, and they're talking about the the, <laughs> the, the cost of the cost of the ransom. I'm like, it sounds like a lot. I don't know. <laughs> And the,
2: the other problem was is I was going to try to, um, like, look up what a f- franc was today. Doesn't And it then exist? look at, like, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> and I was going to
2: try to do some reverse engineering of, like, what a dollar was back then to a dollar now. And I was going to mm-hmm. do some, like, fancy algebra problem to circle back around just to be curious. But, yeah, I can't even compare because there is no such thing as a French franc anymore. Um, I believe there's still a Swiss franc.
0: Yes. I'm trying to look at a um, historical currency converter, and it's just not helpful at all. <laughs> it's
2: know if worth I a, a shot. This out. <laughs> but I, I, I love in this next moment where even though Antoine absolutely knows the mom is bullshitting, he's like, "I'm gonna get so into Balzac that like no one's gonna touch me. I'm gonna." I'm, he gets like obsessed. He's like, "This is gonna be the thing that's gonna bring me across the finish line for my money." Is Becoming enamored with a uh, historical storyteller writer figure um and i just I just really like that and uh basically, I don't know how much he copies the Balzac that he read yeah, but did
0: you think that was i didn't read it as intentional, I read that just more as like oh right, no. he read it, he internalized it, it meant something to him, and then he just sort mm-hmm. of like regurgitated it in his his essay that he wrote but yeah i don't i i i did not read it as like the teacher did where he's like plagiarism where it's like no he just was very influenced by something that seemed to have meant a lot to him
3: yeah the one thing that i was never fully clear on although i think from the context of the kid saying uh renee saying i would have seen him cheat is it that he reads it the night before the next day, he writes the paper in class, mm-hmm. and then yes. he gets some trouble for it. The next yeah. day, I, I I mean, yeah, because it never shows him like looking at the.
0: Yeah, no, not at all. Um, yeah, he's not like copying yeah. it down. He read it the night before, and then he writes his essay the next day.
3: Even if that is plagiarism, I mean, my God, like what other twelve-year-olds do you know that are memorizing <laughs> right. Balzac and pulling it in a in a context that makes sense, mm-hmm. like on yeah. a, writing know, a coherent a essay
0: based on it. Yeah,
3: I, I think my work like
2: question is more of like um how much cuz i don't know how he could like literally copy word for word word um writing balzac in the form of his dead grandmother i believe it is that's the story he's writing about um i feel like he the if the teacher had any sort of like logic he would just be like he's just taking inspiration not literally pl- plagiarizing given i don't believe he oh. could literally write out the balzac essay himself but what do i know i'm not a teacher no, but and, i just but found he,
0: that so the teacher is also yep. this is you know yet again not the most sympathetic uh <laughs> you know mm-hmm. this teacher is not exactly there to sort of really under try to understand antoine and like see things from his point of view He just is like now nah, this kid sucks he's a cheater
3: Yeah, you get the sense that the kid with the goggles would have been praised for making (laughs) this bright allusion to balls. I love his goggles. God, I hate those
0: goggles. (laughs) I think they're so funny.
2: Um, But something that happens before he gets caught um, is he... this is my favorite moment in the movie is he lights an altar yeah. to Balzac in his room and he sticks a candle in it. And the moment he like lets oh, the betrayed. little cloth stuff, uh, and it's just like, no,
0: yeah. Uh,
2: Antoine.
0: Yeah, I thought, I thought it was <laughs> he's so sweet when he was lighting the candle. And then, yeah, and then it's like there's the little hanging cloth and he it's like, oh, no, that's, that's not what you do. It's not fire safety.
2: Yeah. And, but I, this is, like, the reason why this is my favorite scene in the movie is, of course, the parents are at first, like, very frustrated that, like, oh, no, Antoine could have burned down the apartment. Mm -hmm. But they also then realize that, like, oh, you know, he's just a kid. Um, Antoine, I believe, kind of tells them it's, like, something for school, that, like, this was a person that Mm -hmm. meant a lot to him, and he just made an altar in his bedroom. And this is the one time in the movie for me that I think... It's actually multi-dimensional about the authoritarian figures yeah. in his life, it, which is yes, at first they are angry and frustrated and yell at him, but then they become reasonable and it's like, you know what, the house kind of smells. Let's go out to the movies, yeah. and they they do, and they have a good time. They disagree and kind of argue about the movie um, after it's done, but like t- to me, that's where I, th- I think if four hundred blows had gone more into that realm of things for me i would have connected with it a little bit more but yeah that's just me
3: i love their disagreement about the movie because the dad just like isn't his complaint that it's not funny and they're like well it's deep and he's like "Eh, yeah i don't don't get it And the the only other time we hear the dad talking about art is when he says, oh, what did you learn in school today? And he said, the hair. And he goes, oh, the tortoise and the hair. And it's like, no, no, you doofus. Like, we're talking about poems. We're not talking about the tortoise and the hair.
2: Um, Another thing, did you guys happen to catch the movie that you went and saw?
3: Yeah, the Rivette, Paris Belongs to Us.
2: Yeah, yeah. So Rivette's *Paris Belongs to Us* came out in 1961, according to what I saw, and this and 400 Blows came out in
0: 1959. <laughs> I
2: was like, Wait a minute. Which I don't know if maybe like Truffaut... I mean, he's he's in the scene. He knows a lot of these people. He was a critic before he was a filmmaker. Maybe he just was like, oh, I hear Rivette's making a new movie called *Paris Belongs to Us*. That's a great movie to throw in. Like, it's very metaphorical of a title about like.
0: I have a Wikipedia-based answer, which is that the film was shot from July to November in 1958, and then for some reason the release was delayed till the end of 61. Okay. So it must be probably exactly that, that Truffaut was like in the know, basically, and was like, oh, this Mm, movie has been shot and will be coming out (laughs) sometime in the future.
3: Yeah. And he and um, Rivette, I think, were friends Mm -hmm. or at least were contemporaries because they both wrote for Cahiers du Cinéma. That's right. And I th- I think it was Rivette's first movie also? Uh-huh. Maybe? Yeah, I hmm. think so. I'm trying to just, I'm trying to pull it, it up. Is
0: this first full length film?
3: Okay. Okay. Yeah, so they huh. both started like yeah, around, right the around same that. Right around that same time, yeah. Truffaut just managed to it faster i guess yeah. yeah which at least looking
2: up i was just kind of confused um I'd th- thank you weird, for that yeah answer, but it's a weird choice
0: like that's a very weird thing and i didn't know enough i mm-hmm. was just like oh sure that movie was from around that time it didn't even occur to me to look into it until literally just now but like i wonder yeah i don't know if that was just, like a winking thing where Truffaut just thought it was like a little like haha inside joke that this was a upcoming movie but it's an interesting choice
2: yeah, um, does anyone else uh, does anyone know another movie by Jacques Rivette? Uh, I know that they're all like five hours yeah. long.
0: <laughs> oh
2: well, he made probably possibly I one, was your say, one of your favorite. One of your
0: favorites, yeah.
2: <laughs> Celine and Julie go boating is that is my movie. Um, so hopefully we get to talk about that sort of French New Wave yeah. later. <laughs> but um, yeah, so just thought that was interesting to bring up. Uh, the next sort of scene is um after he gets caught plagiarizing, quote unquote. Um the next part is probably my least far- favorite part of the movie, which is he and Renee both get suspended and kind of run away and they just do a bunch of crap. Honestly, like Renee steals from his parents, mm. they smoke and gamble, they spitball people from the roof of Renee's living quarters and it's this whole part where i'm just like i like it's just attracting me at all from sort of sort of like a misunderstood characterization to like he just is kind of a childhood asshole which i I guess could also be relatable it just it didn't work with me personally in the way that the movie was kind of playing out
0: yeah i mean i i think it is you know we're talking about whether or not his actions and things are like relatable or sympathetic it's definitely not the most like sympathetic that either that Antoine or Renee are at any point um but Mm -hmm. in terms of just like a couple of essentially punk kids acting out because they're mad at the world and authority figures like it tracked for me even as I'm again rolling my eyes being like can you just stop for a second (laughs) and like not put yourself into these situations but I believed it
2: yeah and again it It never gets to the point where I am like detracted from the movie and I'm not liking what I'm watching. I'm just saying like, I think if it would have gone straight to the typewriter, it might have worked better for me that they're like, we're out on our own. We need some money. Let's go steal your dad's typewriter instead of doing all this kind of crap before it. Um, Nick, do you have anything to say (laughs) about that? (laughs) Because
3: two of my favorite small bits are in this section. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that is when they walk past the priest and they say, hello, madam. Oh,
0: God. and He's so mad. (laughs)
3: That that, that part so is cute. So mad. That
0: was so funny.
3: <laughs> it, it makes me laugh so hard, just it, how livid he yeah. is. Um, and then when they walk past the theater and they steal the picture mm-hmm. from uh, Summer with Monica, Yeah, I think that's really funny. Yeah, I liked that bit
2: mm-hmm. too. Um, one thing I found interesting, least in the way that Truffaut filmed it, though, was it's in the kind of contrasting way he shows how Rene lives to how uh, Antoine lives, which in Rene's case, he's filming it all overhead almost, or at least higher up than he would at um, Antoine's place. It's showing kind of like the space that Rene has. There's more rooms. It's less cluttered. Um, And it's just kind of... Rene has a little bit of an edge on him than Antoine does, just in like the start to life. Maybe, as a way to describe it, um, and I almost wonder if that's like Renee maybe has a little better off than Antoine, and that's why, or as just like a visual metaphor that maybe like
3: Antoine just has some bad luck in, for him. Well, what I like about that character is that um, socioeconomically, I think he's definitely better yeah. off. Like he has yeah. an allowance. He calls it they call it an inheritance, but I I took that to mean allowance. Yeah. I don't think you can get a f- you ju- a child just casually gets a front on their right. inheritance. Um, yeah, well, and, and he's
0: always you know he's nicer dressed, like he's always going around mm-hmm. like in his little suit for school, and Antoine wears the same like jacket all the time.
3: Yeah, and yet in terms of like the familial dynamic, he's basically as neglected mm-hmm. as. Antoine is so they're very Uh similar in that way you can see why they're friends why they're both running off and you know cutting class and you know the name of the movie translates to um, raising Mm -hmm. hell basically it's an idiom meaning raising hell and that's what they do when they kind of get together so I I don't I I find that them going out and wreaking havoc to be um, apropos sure Um, that makes sense like I don't
2: hate it it's just it didn't work for me um, but to the typewriter which is probably the biggest part of this whole um, outing that they have together is they try to and they actually succeed in stealing Antoine's um, father's typewriter um, and they try to pawn it is that how I don't fully understand how this negotiation went with like a yeah black market person.
0: Yeah, it's like they I have like know. a fence who's like trying to sell it for them and then yeah. they can't yeah, sell I, it yeah i wasn't totally sure i
3: took it i took it to be they needed an adult to pawn it right. for them because okay kids, that makes sense because a kid is obviously not in possession right, of a typewriter yeah and they make it seem like a typewriter is a uh, much like more uh, i don't know like weighty um Possession to have than we would think now.
0: Yeah, I mean, and there's a reference later when someone's like, oh, you can't sell a typewriter. Those have serial numbers. Like, they were trying to pawn a gun or something. It was very like, yeah, I I was surprised by that.
3: I think it's the equivalent now of, like, you stole someone's, like, $2,000 laptop Mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's what I took that to mean, is they needed someone to cut in to do that for them. And he doesn't pull it off.
2: (laughs) And I love them, like, uh, kind of trying to play off that, like, there's the cop, or, please give us back the typewriter, (laughs) or we're gonna pretend like you stole it from us. Mm -hmm. It's, it's cute. Like, that's a very kid way to go about it. And they succeed, and they uh, try to return the typewriter. And again, it's like, (sighs) Antoine gets caught for trying to fix the mistake and do the right thing, than actually doing the wrong thing initially. Which is really frustrating, and then especially because Renee doesn't take any responsibility when Antoine gets caught, Um, and Renee uh, uh, and Antoine then uh, goes to jail. Um, So, what do you guys think of the whole jail scene?
0: I mean, I don't know anything about the justice system of uh, Paris in 1959, but they okay. fully, I'm sure you guys are experts, but they, they fully throw him No, in. no, I was, I was making that no. face because
3: I was like, you should know more about no, the justice system, I, know a little I think, bit than about, the two people. I know who- a little
0: bit about the justice <laughs> system uh, in the here and now, but they, uh, okay. based on my experience, I've never seen a 12-year-old thrown into a holding cell with um, a bunch yes. of adults um, uh, including who uh, the other women we meet in this film who are clearly prostitutes, um, and then and then he's he's in this holding cell with them until they have to move everybody around and they put him in like this tiny little phone booth side like size.
2: He can't even like sit no, down. No, it's it.
0: literally like a phone booth, just locked in his own little tiny cell. It's it's just awful. <laughs> like it's just so sad
2: yeah and i think this part is very well made but again it felt um a little over the top to the point that like i was like oh sure like i get the authoritarian figures are negative on his life i think my actually favorite um use of showing the authoritarian control in the jail cell has nothing to do with the jail but when he's getting his um uh his mug shot done basically and instead of saying, like, turn to the right, like Holly Hunter would <laughs> <Sure>. in Tracy Arizona, <laughs> um, the camera person literally goes over there and, like, grabs It's yeah. great, because it films. it doesn't fill the photographer with any face at that point, but he just grabs his face and moves it mm-hmm. and goes back. And it's, like, this faceless kind of thing that is forcing him to move in a certain way. It kind of almost reminds me of the Hungarian animated short film that Nick showed me called The Hand. Oh, which yeah. is, like, there's this sort of, like, faceless entity of power that is controlling what you do more than yourself. And I think that is something that um, is explored a little bit in this movie and could have been explored a little bit more than just, like, oh, look, the Frenchman is in a jail cell with <laughs> prostitutes and thieves.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's check. It's a check. Uh, oh, okay. Just in case people want to send us correcty. <laughs> Might be. I was actually, for some
2: reason, researching Hungarian animation last night. So that might be why I went
3: to Hungary. (laughs) Anyway. So one other thing that I like about the um, prison scene is that they force him to sign a confession.
0: Yeah, that (laughs) scene was fascinating to me.
3: And what the confession entails is someone using a typewriter in front of Mm -hmm. him. So that's like the one thing that got him him in trouble. And then the other thing that got him in trouble is like signing his name to something. Mm So the two main things that screwed him over in the movie come back to be, like, part of what ultimately uh, is, like, his legal portion of his downfall. I honestly didn't notice that. That's a good catch. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and that scene is just upsetting in general as much as I was worried about this particular kid because it is, you know, not to be all, like, modern politics, but, like, that's exactly the kind of thing that happens to especially young people who are arrested mm-hmm. where they ask him like just a series of questions and he's just kind of talking to them and then the guy types out like oh okay so here's what we're gonna say mm-hmm. happened and you're gonna sign it and that's how we're gonna do this and i was surprised by how i was like oh wow okay so it's just always been that way
2: yeah um and then uh, he is put into the police car and which is another one of my favorite shots in the movies where it's kind of like from his point of view looking out um, on the streets of Paris that uh, they're driving by and that's the streets he used to roam right. just a few hours ago that it was, it was almost like his own possession were the streets of Paris and he's now looking at them through bars. And that's just a very sad and moving um, visual motif that I think Truffaut used in that scene. Yeah, And
0: it's this really like, beautiful shots of Paris at night too, where it's all lit up and it seems so lively yeah. and it really is it
2: feels magical. Right, almost. It
0: does. And it's like the most stark contrast to him being just sort of, yeah, like you said, locked up and now, What he really obviously wanted was his his freedom from his family, from, you know, his sad life. And now he's just looking out at it.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, And where the police car takes him is to a sort of camp (laughs) for young adolescents to reform Mm -hmm. in some sort of way. And um, an interesting, I think, uh, thing when he gets to the camp is someone asks him why he is there, um, which the thief in the jail cell, I believe, asked him, or he asked the thief in the jail cell, and the thief responded, oh, you know, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how Antoine (laughs) kind of responds. And it's interesting just to see him simultaneously, like, pulling this inspiration, but also there's this unspoken bond between these people that have, like, gotten in trouble and are have broken the system in their own specific personal way i Mm -hmm. i I really like that line a lot for for me yeah Yeah. Um, so i
0: thought all the all the the interactions with the various boys at this little reform school or camp were pretty interesting um the various reasons they were there and sort of how they're being put you know the lining up and the marching around, and we we mm-hmm. meet a kid who escaped and's gonna do it again. And it was I I was sort of I really liked that entire sequence.
3: Yeah, Nick. Yeah, I, I love the kid who escaped. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Um, <laughs> he's just like I lived it up for five <laughs> days, and you know what? I'm gonna do it again.
0: Yeah, yeah, because they're all kind of giving him a hard time. Like, oh, you thought you were so good to escape, and now you're back here. And he's like, yeah, but that time I was out, I was living it up.
3: It was worth yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, my problem like maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie is um, another bit that happens here which I think it was ad libbed
2: I'm mm. not
3: positive though I, uh, but it's when he's being interviewed by the psychologist oh, yeah. I that just love great I love his performance there and I love the way it's shot where we never see th- it's not like done in a two shot so we never see the psychologist yeah. and it just kind of we're like, almost
2: cuts. the interviewer in that scene yeah. yeah
3: and it just it cuts to him still talking and I i, I just love that
2: Hmm. Um, and mo- most of those answers were actually completely improvised oh, uh, by Laod um, and that's ironically like I think the best scripted part of the movie if it was scripted um which it isn't which almost underhandedly breaks Truffaut's auteur theory in my mind is how much the star of the movie actually kind of added to the story and the way it's uh kind of goes about especially in this scene um and Leo, in an interview at the Cannes Film Festival at the premiere, kind of discussed that filming of the scene. And he said it took absolutely no effort to act in that scene, which I think is crazy because it's extremely well acted. And um, he said um, he just wanted people to... He needed people to know what it felt like to be 14, and that was his best way. Is just the answers that he gave kind of -of matter-of-factly up front. And that truffaut um, right before they started filming told him that this has to be the best scene in the movie. I think Leo capped that statement off, and he kind of brought it home for his director. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great quotes. Did I? Did you guys write down any of the quotes that, from the interview that you'd like to shout out? Because I think there's tons of them.
3: From oh, from the interview with the. Uh... Uh, let me see if I have any written down. Uh, I I love the line about how, um, I forget what he says, like verbatim, but something about if I tell them the truth, they won't believe me, so it's better to just lie anyway.
2: Yeah, great line. It sums up a lot of that character, honestly.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I um, didn't write down anything in particular about from that sequence. Um, I just had the same sort of feeling that it was the most, it felt the most natural not even natural is not the word I'm looking for but it did I'm not surprised to know that the the point of that was to convey what it felt like to be this age and this kid because it's kind of when everything sort of comes together for me anyway that you're like oh this is the life he's led this is how how he ended up sitting in this chair having this conversation
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think a defining line where... I think Nick's alluded to this mm-hmm. in a couple times, but like the reason why he's kind of almost in the situation he's in is that the mom wanted to abort him. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was only the grandma yeah. that was kind of able to convince uh, the mom that she should keep this child. And it was to the thanks of my grandma that I was born. Yeah. Um, And it's almost that like because the mom didn't care to have this child and because the dad wasn't actually the dad that like he wasn't in a household ready to support him honestly that is kind of what led to him being stuck at this uh camp for mm-hmm. yeah kids
3: yeah they say that uh the grandmother watched him until he was eight and then yeah that's right uh she was too sick or too old or like for whatever reason unable to care for him anymore um and then at that point the mother took him in and he said it was clear that she didn't want him right Mm-hmm. so I, like part of me f- does feel for the mom because like she's yeah sure she, she was 18 and she was like we don't know the details but you know she wanted to have an abortion and it was made unavailable to her uh, and you can read between those lines as much or as little as you want but either way like there is some sympathy to her but at the same time mm-hmm. like most of your sympathy is piled on to this child who was unwanted. Right.
0: Well, and I think that the saddest part of that is that he knows that this is known to him. You know, there's there's plenty mm, of kids yeah. out there and families that start off where you know this might have been their origin story. Where it was a young mom and she didn't want the kid, but you know, life goes on. But the fact that he knows all of this and like has to live with it, like yeah. that's a whole, you know, that's a whole burden to carry. The interesting
2: thing is, it doesn't seem to affect him that much. No,
0: I mean, well, he's very not, matter of fact he about it. Is, but I think, like, he probably would say it doesn't affect him. But I still get the mm-hmm. sense that you know we're supposed to maybe it's take an away exactly thing. that it's just sort mm-hmm. of built into his. Yeah, gotcha.
2: yeah, Um And then after that, because Renee is a ass he shows up and i don't know what he leaves for antoine but he leaves something for antoine um yeah. and then just bails he won't even see his friend no he's don't an they,
3: ass. no don't they not let him see
2: oh i i thought it was renee just kind of went and just he like shrugged and then went away i to, to me in that scene i thought it was uh renee was dropping something off and just didn't want to see antoine
3: Oh, I thought that they didn't let him go. Oh, that oh, would oh, make I'm a little bit more running. sense. He'd <laughs> be less I angry be at Ray. <laughs> yeah, because like he he has gone all that way and he you know, he he wasn't dropped off by his parents. Like he went out of his way on a bike to get there and you get the sense that it's relatively far away. Like his mom had dressed up to go there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so I thought that Rene was barred from going in, which makes that whole interaction a little bit sadder. And I do... I mean, if we want to pull from... And we we talked about this a little bit on the last episode. I don't know how much we want to pull from the subsequent movies. Mm-hmm. Um, or it, Like, I, I would much rather just let this stand on its own without going into the sequels. But he and Rene are friends in Antoine and Colette. Mm, okay. Interesting. He comes back. So that's... That was all right. Then I'm just reading thinking. it wrong. That's on me.
2: Um, and then finally we kind of come to the resolution of the movie, and what is in for me the least realistic thing that I see in this movie? Um, cause um, Antoine decides to escape during a football game. Mm-hmm. No French person is running away <laughs> from a football game. That's completely. <laughs> This is wholly unrealistic. I know a French person that is into soccer. No. (laughs) He will choose every other time.
0: He just leveraged that as his ability to get away because he knew nobody else would pay any attention.
2: No, they were too invested in (laughs) the soccer game.
3: Well, so I have one thing in my notes that I've been trying to figure out what part it's from. And I can't, like, all I have is the quote, we left him home alone besides he hates sports. And oh. I can't remember if that's about Antoine or not, but maybe it was. Oh, no, like I've been, tr- I've, I've been racking my brain for the last like ten minutes trying to figure out what the hell. When
0: someone throws some that? Oh no! <laughs> Don't
3: ruin my joke about French people in soccer. But maybe Antoine, just like me, doesn't like uh, football. Yeah. The the best sport in the world. Mm, there's hmm. baseball. Well, there's not anything right now.
0: Yeah. So. Now there's nothing.
2: Oh, that hurts. Anyway, um, he dives under a fence. He kind of leads Chase through a literal whistling man, mm-hmm. uh, through some alleys, through some aqueduct Araya things. He runs and he um, runs and, he, and he, he
0: runs some more. And he just keeps running.
1: He
2: does. <laughs> and I really like the um, sort of montage look of, like, he's almost slowly descending from almost a hill down and down and down to sea level, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, which comes to the very famous ending of the movie. Um, Nick, do you want to cap off the ending of this movie? Because I think you uh, would be best at describing it.
3: Yeah, it's one of my favorite endings. So we, we have this. So. Long, yeah, we have this long tracking shot of him running, and then he gets to the beach, and it kind of pans around. Um, and throughout, we didn't mention, I guess, earlier in the movie, but when it's alluded to uh, his mom wants to send him off to the army, he goes, I would much rather go to the Navy. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the beach. Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually in the scene with the English teacher, one of the answers that he like shouts oh. at one of the kids is the word beach a couple times.
0: Yeah, that scene I have to say because the 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 question they're asking is like, where, where did the is where is the, is the or no? Well, at first they're saying like, where is the father? Where is the father? And then he changes his father. Where is, that poor kid saying faja, uh, but then they turn and ask the kid in the class and they say, where is the girl? And the answer is like at the beach, but they probably repeated the word beach three times before I realized that they weren't just saying bitch over and over. I thought okay. they were was... I really I was just sitting there thinking I No, i
2: I'm there okay, with good. you I that I was so like,
0: like finally the third time I went, Oh, beach like and then beach. I felt like the idiot, but I was like mildly horrified for like these kids, what the I was hell? like, get God
2: out of the
3: scene, damn it. <laughs> I was
0: like, Come on, yeah. Uh, but no, they they do. They say beach over and over in that, that one scene
3: yeah that is true So he, he finally makes it he turns to camera and it zooms in a little bit it freezes on his mm-hmm. face and then it does like the Ken Burns before there was Ken Burns <laughs> oh my gosh push in, so yeah. P- pushing into uh, a still photo mm-hmm. and he has this just perfect look on his face of like the end of the graduate type mm-hmm. look uh, which is that my, like my favorite type of ending in any movie is like though well what right. now yeah <laughs> And you get the sense like he's obviously free and like that other kid, he's probably going to live it up. But he's also probably only going to live it up for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you get the sense that it will have been worth it to Mm -hmm. him. Like just to get away, he got to see the beach, which is what he wanted to do. He gets, you know, a, a little bit of time away, time to himself. And that seemingly means the world to him. What do you think of the ending, Jenna?
0: I I really liked it. I actually, as famous now as I like, I knew it had a famous ending, but I had sort of purposefully done a good job of avoiding knowing what that was. Um, kind of as soon as I learned it had a famous ending, I was like, okay, well, don't. Like I've listened to other podcasts that have talked about it and I've like stopped them. and you guys know I don't really normally care about spoilers. I'll just like mm-hmm. whatever it doesn't really bother me. but I knew always knew I was gonna see this movie at some point and so I like had purposefully avoided knowing what the sort of iconic ending of it was. And I don't normally like freeze frames um, I think especially in modern movies when they're used, they're often really cheesy. Um, mm-hmm. but i I could appreciate the fact that this was you know, probably one of the original sort of uses that anything else I've seen has imitated. Um, And I agree that I also really love an ending that is that's like the graduate ending is one of my favorite endings of a movie of all time. Mm -hmm. That is just the, well, what now? (laughs) Like we ended up here and there's no neat and tidy bow and you don't know what he's going to do next. Like you said, he's, he's probably going to have to go back. Like, where is he going to go? How is he going to eat? What's, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that he, he made it, you know, he made it to yeah. the shore he made it to the ocean um and so even though you know who knows what's going to happen even five minutes from now you can sort of be happy for him in that moment
2: and um well now i'm going to bring out probably what's going to be my hottest take in the entire podcast <laughs> nick's eyes go wide, <laughs> <Uh-oh. laughs> which as i absolutely hate the freeze frame <laughs>
0: I, I mean
1: I,
2: I think it's a great I think it's a great ending, yeah. okay? I I love the pan shot. I love how Leo's acting. I just absolutely f- fucking hate that stupid freeze frame. I usually don't like freeze frames in general like that. And I wish it could have gone off quieter, almost, of just like it was a very quiet and personal moment. I wish it kind of could have zo- just zoomed in and almost faded instead of, like, weird static, like, grab the n- one reel and we'll play it over and over again doing a Ken's zoom. It had to give you one absolutely.
0: final new wave, like... Oh,
2: I know. Like, it just it absolutely moment. ripped me out of yeah. that
3: movie. Just fading to black would have been so dull for this movie. Like, some of movies just fizzle out and fade to black this isn't going to fizzle out this is like the dawn of like i'm pretty sure he knew what he had and this is the exclamation point on the end of uh one of the best movies of this era like truly i give you this though i'll give you this what if we freeze frame
2: and we don't do the stupid zoom i think it would work
0: i actually like the zoom I think I like with oh. the zoom, and then if it was just, cause I don't really care for the freeze frame as a concept, but I think the zoom is kind of like you said, that exclamation point. Um, and speaking of like knowing what he had and sort of putting an exclamation point on it, he was 27 when he made this movie. Yeah, that's very his impressive for movie, He's like 27 years old. Like that is, you know, it respects to that sort of gutsy, like, yeah, look what I
2: did. Sure. Kind of move. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but then he writes Finn on the freeze frame that, too. Yeah, <laughs> that's. An I, era it is tight. exactly that's kind of, sure, like in, but like it reminds me of just like Sound of Music, uh-huh. like classic Hollywood. I don't know. I I'm sorry, Nick. I I don't dig the freeze frame, which is probably going to be the hottest take in the entire podcast history. But no,
3: hot is a word. That's not the adjective I would describe <laughs> that take as.
2: What What would you describe it as, Nick? <laughs> wrongest <laughs> <laughs> that's fine i i don't mind being wrong it's just a personal thing i don't think it's like objectively uh, bad um yeah um so that's uh 400 blows um did any of you guys uh, pull some quotes from the uh ebert essay that you wanted to talk about
0: um i did want to point out um and i know we like to talk about the things we liked that ebert said i don't love that his reference for um bringing up his mom says the mother claire morier is a blonde who likes tight I... sweaters ebert yes come on man
2: <laughs> yeah ebert's like tight sweaters very mean and then the dad's like Aloof but nice caring, enough, and I'm just—I I, I, like highlighted one, highlighted the other, drew a like an um, arrow, and was just I like, got, no. "I have a
0: big circle question mark next to tight sweaters." Because like Ebert, buddy, <laughs> I know that. Um, um, oh, but uh, the part that I did actually like is actually in the first paragraph, where Ebert is talking about the ending, um, and describes him as having just run away from a house of detention. And he's on the beach, caught between land and water, between past and future. (laughs) It is the first time he has seen the sea. And that actually made me appreciate the ending more than when I even just, like, I watched it, and I was like, okay, cool. And then even just reading that little two-sentence summary made me go, you know, yeah, he is caught between (laughs) the past and the future, the (laughs) land and the ocean. Um, I I thought that was great.
2: I messaged you guys before we started recording that. I I thought there was one sentence in the essay that i hoped we would all have underlined i'm curious that was oh, was that? <laughs> <laughs> oh really <Yeah>. okay wow <laughs> did you have it underlined too nick
3: <laughs> I, I definitely had it underlined it's not um the sentence that i have like starred to be uh featured as my pull quote mm-hmm. um that one would be the line we sense that it was drawn directly out of Truffaut's heart, mm-hmm. which is what I got mm. the most rewatching it a couple times this week is, um, you know, the first couple times I watched it, I liked it a lot. I appreciated it for its craft, but these times for whatever reason, and I don't, I, I can't explain what it was this time that hit me in a different way, but it just hit me in that way. I felt so much more personal, um, to me than the first couple, first other, uh, couple times i watched it i i really really love this movie mm-hmm. i've got um, also if if you don't mind i've got a couple other quotes mm-hmm. love it keep going um, this uh first one is Truffaut, and this is from he's writing a letter to a director in 1974 so long after this movie he's made a bunch of other movies with uh jean-pierre Leode including uh day for night the year before this was written So he writes to Bernard Dubois. He says, as far as Jean-Pierre is concerned, he's worked with lots of different directors in lots of different ways, but I think he has... uh, er, I'm sorry, uh, but I think he is at his best when he is quite valiant and sincere. Nothing pretentious or snobbish, but I can't think of a better word to say what I mean. Valiant, honest in his mistakes, well-intentioned, and funny without trying to be.
1: It's a good line. Yeah.
3: The other quote I have is from somebody doing an interview with uh, Jean-Pierre Léaud, And the interviewer says, it's said that in Live at tw- uh, Live at 20? Live at 20? Whatever. Some oh other yeah, thing life was in. Oh yeah, Live at 20. That's
0: the, uh, the series of shorts that um, Antoine and... Oh, the Antoine, and, Antoine yeah, and yeah, from. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah.
3: okay. So the interviewer says, it's said that in that you look like Truffaut. And Jean-Pierre Léod says, you look like the people you love.
0: Aww.
2: That's
3: nice. <laughs> That's just so sweet.
0: Yeah.
2: Paddington re-enters the frame. <laughs>
3: <laughs> which quote did you uh, want to highlight, Dylan?
2: Uh, my mine one was uh, the cop between land and water. I also oh. really liked um, him describing uh, Antoine um, his life before the movie as his heart had suffered obscure wounds, mm-hmm. which I think really poignant line to describe um, kind of his situation and his character. Um, I also just happened when I you know you just like you grab a book and you like open it up to any random page to like find where you are and start finding where you need to go. Um, I opened it up and the the part I opened it up to was um, his Apocalypse Now review in which he had two keynotes and or um, two footnotes and one of them was actually a true faux quote. And um, I just want to read this quote because it, I think, defines this movie and defines a little bit about what I dislike about this movie. He says, I demand a film express the joy of making cinema or the agony of making cinema. Mm-hmm. Which is...
0: Not your Anything in between.
2: Yeah, and I don't like that he demands it. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't agree with the sentiment. And it's like, it's nothing wrong with the quote, but it, again, it's like, I feel like the movie is more demanding than I wish it was sometimes. And that's where it feels a little one note with the authoritarian characters for me. Or it ruins a little bit of the sympathy for Antoine at certain parts for me. Um, Again, it's not like I disagree with the quote or it ruins the movie for me. It's just that is my personal detraction. And especially the fact that it's like the joy or the agony of making cinema. Mm -hmm. I don't know.
3: I'm not even really sure, like, I I saw that quote, too. I'm not even really sure which of those this movie is. Yeah. I think it's both.
0: Yeah, because this movie, to me, actually does feel in-between, which is what I think is so funny about that.
2: Yeah. Mm. I I think instead of necessarily being an in-between, it kind of jumps back and forth between... The other side, Mm -hmm. at least for me, if that makes makes
3: sense. It sort of feels like one of those quotes where if you like pushed him to clarify, he wouldn't have much to say. (laughs) Right. I don't know. Like maybe he said it. Yeah. Maybe I'm being harsh, but I don't like I don't even really know what that
2: means. (laughs) Cool,
3: Frank. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm just too dense, but I mean, I'm willing to concede that I'm probably too dense. And Truffaut knows more what he's talking about when it comes to cinema and the craft of cinema than I do. So. For
2: sure. That's why like again, I don't want to say that the freeze frame at the end is bad cuz I'm sure Truffaut knows more about what he's doing than me. Right. It just, didn't just say
0: work it doesn't for work for you.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um so that's the 400 blows y'all. Um let's get to some final ratings. Uh Jana, what would you rate this? Uh thumbs uh, up.
0: Thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up for me.
2: <laughs> okay, thumbs up for me and Nick? Oh, absolutely. And what would you rate it, Janet, out of the Ebert four stars? I would
0: give it three and a half out of four stars for me. It's it's close to a four star. I have have some quibbles, but um, I was overall very, very impressed. Would be curious to see when I rewatch it how I feel about it on a second viewing.
3: Mm -hmm. Nick? Four. (laughs) (laughs) Wiggling your fingers. I feel like, I mean, I've looked through the first few movies in this book. And I really uh, worry that I'm going to be kind of like saying the same thing for a little while. But (laughs) at the end of the review, go, I (laughs) just that's four. yeah, this one's four. I haven't rewatched our next movie yet, but I know my last, well, we'll get to that next week, but yeah, it may be, it may be a string of fours coming for me.
2: That's, that's not a bad thing, you know? I'd prefer to be talking positively about movies than negatively, so. Um, I would say I kind of like Eugenia was three and a half, but I maybe leaned a little bit more three, but I would probably say three and a half in the end. I was trying to make it somewhat easier for myself and upping, like, the denominator to 400 and thinking of how many blows I would do out <laughs> of 400. Sure. And so I was like, I'd do 335 blows <laughs> out of 400, maybe? 340? That'd be my Fair enough. <laughs> so lower Soon end of three, three,
0: and 3. Yeah, it's a three to, rounding
2: yeah. 3.5. It's somewhere moving. We have 3.5. Yeah. So next week we will be discussing 8.5 um, by Federico Fellini. Um, I'm really excited yeah. to talk about that um is there anything else you guys need to say before we go
0: i don't think so just yeah looking looking yeah. forward to to next week
2: yeah check us out on twitter and Letterbox at great movies pod um also thanks to scott brady for doing our cover art you can find him yeah we should shout out his uh, oh there. yeah <laughs> yeah he's a do s you s have it?
3: yeah it's s brady artist s
2: brady. s brady artist on twitter cool thank you guys roger out man roger out. Bye.
3: And when I go to the
1: movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person.
0: That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as
1: people.